You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Are you ready for the word of the Lord this morning, church? Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? We're going to be spending a majority of our time in Luke chapter 2. If you're not in the habit of bringing a hard copy of the Bible, I want to challenge you to do so. You've heard me say this many times, but if you are like me and you have a love-hate relationship with technology, and by that, I mean I kind of love using it, but it hates me. Anybody else? Every single update, right? And so every time I do an update, my apps crash and I can't open them. And there's all, and then I find, you know, Bill Van Hartzell, and you had mentioned an incredible point a few months ago. You know, Bill said, you know, part of the reason why I break out the hard copy word of God is because I don't get interrupted by text messages and phone calls or news alerts. And anytime you get a news alert, it's never good news. Can I hear an Amen. And so by opening up the Word of God, it helps us shut out all other distractions, and it never needs an update. Isn't that great? And so I want to challenge you to bring the Word of God for a few reasons. As I shared last week, um, I'm typically a topical preacher. It's where I feel like God has called me to. We pick a topic, and then I like going throughout the Word of God and pulling all different scriptures and showing how every piece of scripture speaks to us and is relevant today, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. But a few weeks ago, I just felt like the Lord impressed on my heart to go a different route. And the route that we're going is it's called expository preaching. It's where we take a portion of of scripture and we just spend our time absorbing that piece of scripture, just one chunk at a time. And that's what we're doing. Last week, if you remember, we talked about uh, John the Baptist and his upbringing and just feeling like God has has given us a theme of raising up godly families. And this week, we're going to be spending time studying the household of Jesus, And I got to say, let me just preface this morning service with this. When God in heaven looks at two people on earth and says, they meet the qualifications to raise my one and only son, they might be worth paying attention to. Can I hear an amen this morning? They might be worth looking at. And I believe that if you take time in your devotions to really study and look at Joseph and Mary, I believe that you can't help but walk away after learning about them. I believe that you can't help but walk away liking them. They're very likable people. For example, my heart aligns with Joseph in the fact that, man, I want to be more compassionate. And Joseph pioneers the way. We see compassion in his being. For example, the story of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mary's pregnant through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and and Joseph finds this out. And Joseph, I mean, we're all human, and the only way that Joseph can process this is that she was unfaithful to him. That's how she became pregnant. And so Joseph, during this this day and age, it would be completely reasonable under Mosaic law to take Mary out, and the penalty for her sin would be death. And rather than Joseph, even though he is under the impression that she was unfaithful to me, even though he has that impression, he still looks at Mary and wants to honor her. He says, I still want to protect your reputation for the time being. And what we're going to do is we're going to make this divorce happen quietly to protect you. How many of you know that that is a tremendous amount of compassion? 
And you just kind of see the character of Joseph in that moment that he doesn't go to her with a fiery anger, demanding justice, put her to death, but he shows grace and mercy. And then Mary, I, you can't help but study Mary and again, just take up encouragement and like the woman. As a matter of fact, when we read something called Mary's Song in Luke 1, it's an incredible song written by Mary where it talks about this love for a Savior that I just get the impression that she really knows God. You know, you'll meet people in life, they know a lot about God, but they don't know God. They know a lot of information about Him, but they have never experienced Him. But I get from Mary's song that she knows about God and she knows who he is. As a matter of fact, when we look at Psalms, one of the reasons why we are so enamored, even to this day, thousands of years later, with the book of Psalms is because it describes the character of God in such a detailed way that here we are in 2022 and we can still relate to the way that God is described in Psalms. Justice. He's the lion but he's also the lamb full of mercy and grace. And we're still to this day captivated by the book of Psalms. And I would say that Mary's song isn't too far different than something that you would read in Psalms. The way that she describes God is this woman has encountered God. She knows who he is. And so here we are with this powerhouse of a couple and in this scripture, we gain a little bit of insight as to who they were as a family and the way that they raised Jesus. If you would read with me, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52 is where, where we are going to be spending our time this morning. Again, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. It says this, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And when they began looking for him um, among their relatives and friends, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, hold on a sec. Uh-oh. You lost our Lord and Savior. God in flesh. For three minutes? No, three days. If this is not a testament to God's grace, I don't know what is. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Asked Jesus. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then they went down to Nazareth, or excuse me, then he went down to Nazareth, Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in the favor of God and man. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that as your word goes forth this morning, that we would recognize not only the validity of Scripture, but Lord, we would 
recognize how applicable it is in today's time. Lord, we sense that you are raising up godly families and raising up children to be godly warriors. So help us, God, to submit to your word because we recognize that that is the only way that we can get godly families and godly children is through submission to you. So may we have obedient hearts this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted, amen. Amen. This morning, I would like to share with you five traits of a successful household. Five traits of a successful household. The first being this, kids are included in the spiritual practices of the home. Number one, kids are included in the spiritual practices of the home. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 through 42 says this, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. Every year this was something that the family unit as a whole, this is what they did. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival. He went up to the festival according to the custom. Every year they were faithful to celebrate Passover, a Jewish holiday that celebrated the Israelites' freedom and exodus from slavery. How many of you, hit the pause button, how many of you know that it is incredibly important to hit the pause button in life and reflect on God's faithfulness? Amen? Amen. This was a festival commanded by God, but according to scripture, they were going up to Jerusalem from Nazareth for Passover, which means this, that they traveled more than 100 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. We can estimate that that took maybe three to four days of travel. They would gather there for about a week at the feast. Oh, glory. I feel the Lord stirring up something in my heart. We should have a week-long feast. Oh, man, we'll get Mission Barbecue on speed dial. Three to four days to travel there in a week of feast. Then it took another three to four days to travel back. It took them two weeks to engage in this festival, roughly. And that's not including all that they would have to do to arrange for their homestead to be taken care of and the financial um, support that it would take. We can assume that they had to save finances, that it cost them something in order to participate in this festival. Well, why are you saying this, Pastor? To prove the point that as a family unit, this was a priority. It wasn't simply, um, we have it easy. Come on, somebody. It wasn't simply going to church for an hour on a Sunday, but it took time. It took physical effort to travel over 100 miles. It took organization and planning. It took financial compensation. It took organizing things for their home to be taken care of. It took sacrifice. And the whole family unit, including the children, were exposed to and engaged in this sacrifice to the Lord. Why mention this? Because it proves that Mary and Joseph had an intense commitment to the Lord. How many of you know that in order to participate in something that required this much sacrifice, you had to mean it? You really had to love the Lord to do this. Why mention this? Because they included their children in this commitment and spiritual practice. Here's a lesson that we see from time to time in Scripture, and we often kind of glance over it but never really absorb it. When spiritual priorities are in place in our lives, everything else falls into place. When spiritual priorities are in place, everything else in our life seems to fall into place. It's when spiritual priorities are out of balance that everything else comes crashing down. 
Scripture says when they went to Jerusalem, they took Jesus with them. They involved their children in this process, not only as a way to honor God, but as a way to teach their children, this is the priority of our life, honoring the Lord and bringing glory to his name. What an incredible example, amen? Here, how does this relate to us? Church, I want to challenge you to involve your kids in spiritual practices, It's awfully quiet in here. I'm going to say that again. Church, I want us to make it a priority to involve our children in spiritual practices. Amen? Amen. I am so proud of the parents who came out to an event that we had just a month or so ago called Meal with a Missionary. And this was an opportunity where we sat down as a congregation and we asked our missionaries, what do you do? Tell us about your culture. What are the high points of your ministry? What are the low points? And I'm so proud of our church because I wasn't able to to make it that night due to dealing with some illness. But I asked my wife, I said, were there kids there? And she said, oh, yeah. It is incredible that kids are exposed to firsthand experience of our missionaries. That they hear how risky it is to live in a country that is hostile towards Christians. It's incredible and important that our children hear how these missionaries are paving, pioneering the way that others can follow, and it's never been done before for the sake of Christ. It is incredible that our children hear these experiences and that they kind of, just like Mary, that they treasure them up in their hearts. It's incredible whenever families, when you invite children onto missions trips. Can I tell you a story about how my dad took me hostage on one? (laughs) Oh, he did. When I was in junior high, my dad said, Donnie, I'm going to take you to Mexico. And I'm thinking, white sandy beaches, baby. I said, Dad, you're a genius. Keep talking. He said, we're going to go to Mexico. Praise God. He goes, we're going to go on a mission trip. I said, oh. I said, Dad, maybe you didn't notice, but I'm like really white. And Mexico's really hot. We are incompatible with one another. If you wanted to go to Alaska, that's more my climate. And so my dad said, no, you're, you're going on this mission trip. And I resented him for it. I had no desire to go, and can you believe the audacity he even made me participate in the financial compensation of this thing? (laughs) Unbelievable. (sighs) Yeah, that's why I don't have him speak here anymore. (laughs) Lord's still working in my heart. And so my dad, he, he tells me I'm going to Mexico and even all the way down to like, I'm on the plane and I'm sitting there looking out the window and I'm like, whoo, I'm going to hold this over your head forever. And I was so bitter because as a young man, I, I was not interested in missions, but that was not my attitude on the flight home. And as a 12-year-old boy, when you're standing at a dump, seeing people just, I mean, picking through every bit of trash for the littlest piece of food, you can't walk away from that the same. 
And I'll never forget seeing this little girl pick up, I believe it was an orange or an apple, and she was shouting and she was excited, and I saw her bite into it and ants just poured out. And when you're standing there and you're handing out food to somebody and the realization sets in that had God not called me here, had my dad not forced me here, then this family, this child would not be eating right now. They would be looking for more trash and garbage. You can't walk away from that experience the same hard-hearted person. That is why, and to this day, there's a soft spot in my heart for missions and missionaries as a result of what took place when I was 12 years old. Why? Because my dad forced me, in the most, and it is the most loving thing he could have ever done. He forced me to be involved in the spiritual practice of the home, proving the point that this is not only important to us, but this is what matters to God. And what matters to him is what we need to make sure matters to us. Taking your kids on missions trips, engaging. I remember also being forced into homeless ministry where my family would say, hey, we're going to do this as a family unit. We're going to go hand out clothing and food to those who are in the inner city. And I remember participating in that, and it changed my life. I remember um, uh, occasional worship services on Sunday evenings. Did I stay awake the whole time? No, I was passed out on the front row. But I remember waking up as a young boy and seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I remember seeing things that just didn't make sense to me at the time. And still to this day, the only way I can describe what happened is by divine appointment was met. When you're standing there as a young boy and there's a woman who's dancing around at the altar and she's speaking in tongues and her eyes are closed and she's looking up and yet she never stepped on somebody. And I remember sitting there going, how is this possible whenever a woman goes up to the altar and she has a walker and the walker stays at the altar and she walks back? How can you explain that? There's nothing scientifically to measure that by. When you see people who have trouble with, with, with seeing and they go to the altar and their glasses remain at the altar and they walk away. And I remember as a young boy saying, how is this possible? It left an impact on my life. When the Brownsville revival was taking place in Florida, I remember going with my family to those services. And I remember being exposed to the spiritual practices and the glory of God that was taking place there. I can never forget these experiences. Families, parents, grandparents, please hear me this morning. It's vital that we include our children in the spiritual practices of God. Amen? We need to find ways to serve Christ together as a family. Amen? Amen. Five traits of a successful household. Number two, the home is linked together with God's people. Participating in Passover and going to the temple involved a huge community of God's people traveling together. It was a pilgrimage that would often involve groups of over a hundred individuals. 
It's no wonder that Jesus got lost in this shuffle because you see it was a common practice that at the front of the people, at the front of the line was the women and children and then there was the livestock in between and then in the back was the fathers and sons. And so there's Joseph in the back thinking, you know, Jesus is at that age where he's young enough that he could be with Mary and yet he's old enough that he could be with Joseph. And so here's this shuffle where Mary's like, oh yeah, he's with his dad and Joseph is like, oh yeah, the son of God is with his mother. It's terrifying enough to lose a child for three seconds, let alone three days, and I have never felt the burden of it being a son of God. And at the end of the day, they get together for the encampments that would often take place during this journey. We can assume that community was being built in those encampments. That as the people of God traveled together, they would set up different tent sites. And can I tell you, it's an anointed time when the people of God gather around a bonfire. I'm biased. I'm just saying. So the people of God are gathering around and they realize something. Oops. But here's my point in mentioning this. Hear me out, parents. Jesus was not brought up in the context of an isolated culture or isolated home. He was brought up in the context of community with God's people. Amen? Passover and the festivals that God's people celebrated required community involvement and fellowship. Jesus was brought up around other believers, whether it was listening to an elderly Simeon and Anna or meeting people in the streets or gathering at the synagogue and speaking to leaders. Jesus was raised within a community of believers. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need each other. The reality is this, that if you raise your kids within the context of a church community, their lives will be deeply impacted by other believers within that community. It's inevitable. I can tell you story after story, just like I hinted to last week, of ushers and, and uh, boards that impacted, board members that impacted my life as a young child. And I'm not just talking about them disciplining me. They impacted my life in other good ways. But I remember my, my dad was a, a senior pastor at the time, and I remember it wasn't abnormal for us to go on vacation and there'd be a few board members with us. I remember different gatherings. My, my family loved camping, and we would go camping, and I remember a few times a year that as a church, we would go on this camping trip and take over an entire section at a campground. We were with, right? Sounds so fun, right? We'll schedule it for, anyways. We, I, I understand what it's like to be brought up in the context of community. I could tell you testimony after testimony, person after person within the churches that I grew up at. And the stories are so vivid. I, I could tell you stories about my Sunday school teachers when I was a boy and how I tortured them. And I could tell you story after story of my participation in the Royal Ranger program and the men that impacted my life. And I could tell you all the way through my, my childhood years, through junior high, through my teen years, I could tell you about my volunteer uh, youth leader that we tortured. Ron Ingolito, who's now a senior pastor out near Pittsburgh, 
He was a volunteer leader at the time. And I remember Ron, we, we, he was such a youth guy. He could take a joke. Like when somebody came in and he said, hey, where's the pastor's son in that group of boys? And they said, he's on top of the church roof building a snowman. We literally did that. It, was, it, it took talent and skill. We don't have time to go through the how, but... Middle of December, we thought it'd be funny for the people to gather for church and see snowmen across the church roof. It's amazing what a, a ladder and a bucket and a little bit of ingenuity can accomplish for God. I'm just saying. And Ron took it lightly, and Ron didn't flip out, and he came outside and said, Donnie, would you please, just when you guys are done, take them down so I don't get fired tomorrow? Okay. But I can also tell you about one service where God got a hold of my life as a teenager at this camp. And Ron, even though the service had ended, it was one of those moments where like God wasn't done with me yet. And so while everybody else went out to eat, I remember Ron saying, I'm going to take you back to the hotel room. You make it a prayer center. And I remember going back to my hotel room and just weeping as God dealt with some things in my life. But Ron, a volunteer church leader, was able to recognize that this was a divine appointment. Friends, if you're going to raise your kids in the context of church, we need to understand that that means that they're going to be deeply impacted by those in the body of Christ. And that's where this morning, if you don't have kids at home and you say, I did my time, I'm a grandparent. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's no retirement for this. If you're showing up here on Sundays, you're going to impact a child. You're going to impact how they perceive the body of Christ. A successful home is linked together with the body of Christ. Your kids need other friends that love Jesus. They need other Christian friends that they can find here. Five traits of a successful household, and I'm going to pick up the speed because we're running out of time. Number three, parents are concerned with where their kids are. Five traits of a successful household. Number three, parents are concerned with where their kids are. Luke chapter 2, verse 44 through 46. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Oh my. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Let me hit the pause button real quick. I don't know if you've ever seen the famous painting where Jesus is standing in a temple court and all of the teachers are listening to him and he's there kind of like teaching them. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that image? And we often see it in kids' Bible books. That's kind of a pretentious image of Jesus that we see. When you read scripture, listen to what it says. He was sitting among the teachers and he was listening to them. He wasn't teaching them. What was he doing? He was asking questions. There's a lot of humility in that. Back to the point, parents are concerned with where their kids are. Joseph and Mary were concerned with where Jesus was. Let me ask you something. Who are your children with the majority of their time? Who are their closest friends? What subjects are they taking in school, and who are their teachers? 
What are they spending their time doing? What are their favorite subjects in school? What are they watching on social media and YouTube? What are their hobbies and interests? What is their viewpoint of right and wrong and who's teaching them what is right and wrong? Where are your children? I could also frame the question out, who are your children? A successful home is always asking these questions. Where are my kids? What are they doing? And who are they with? Making sure that those three questions align with the word of God. And 50% of the reason why we ask these questions is to hold our children accountable to a godly standard. The other 50% reasoning behind this is simply to know who they are becoming. To know our kids. Some of the most meaningful conversations that I've ever had with my parents is when they took the time out of their day to sit me down and ask me the questions. And the fact that they knew who my friends were blew my mind. Didn't even know they realized that. And I remember when Kylie and I were dating in in high school, I remember my parents sitting me down and asking questions about the relationship. Did I ignore them? Yes. (laughs) Did it mean the world to me? Yes. Parents, are you having those one-on-one conversations? Grandparents, you'll make your grandchildren feel like a million bucks. When you sit down with them one-on-one, look into their eyes and treat them like a person and ask them the questions. Where have you been? Who do you spend your time with? What are you becoming? Worship team, if you'd come. Number five, or excuse me, number four. Five traits of a successful household. Number four, children own their relationship with God. Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? A part of the reason why this could have confused Joseph and Mary is because during this biblical time, typically when people reference God, it was kind of detached. The one true God. He is God. Jesus changed the narrative when he said, my father. Jesus owned that relationship at 12 years old. There has to come a point in time where every child comes to a place where they understand that they can't piggyback off of their parents' salvation. There has to come a point in time, teenagers, please hear me this morning. I know there's a lot of you this morning. I don't know where you're coming from, but I'm glad you're here. Every week you're just multiplying, praise God. It is so incredibly vital that there comes a point where it's no longer mom and dad go to church. It's no longer mom and dad serve the Lord, but it's I serve the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, teenagers, this isn't your parents' church. This is your church. You belong here. It's not just your parents that serve in ministry. 
you're called to serve in ministry. It is so incredibly important that every child learns to own their relationship with Jesus. So let me ask this question, parents. How are you paving the pathway? How are you teaching them so that someday when the choice is theirs, whether they want to go to church, that they'll choose to engage and grow closer to the Father? How are you paving the way to teach them that someday, rather than repeating the prayers that we've taught them, someday they're praying on their own? How are we getting them in the habits and the spiritual practices to someday it's going to set them up where they now have to do the work, where they have to be the ones to travel 100 miles? where they have to be the ones that make the financial sacrifice and they understand tithing, that it was, it's not our money to begin with, but it's his. And the fact that he only asks for 10% is a blessing. How are we providing and paving the pathway to someday they understand that and they take up and they serve the Lord faithfully and they raise up godly followers? It must become personal to them where they desire to worship God, where they have an understanding of their relationship with Jesus, to where it's that same response, mom and dad, I'm with my father. He's not a God far from me. He's, I know him so personally. He's my dad. And I also want to throw out there that this is why camps and retreats for our kids ministry and teen ministries are so vital and important. I learned to cry out to God on my own at youth camps and kids camps. I learned how to go to the altar on my own at kids camps and youth camps. I learned how to run after God. It is important that our children, our students, are in atmospheres like this because they teach our kids and teens how to own their relationship with Jesus. Number five, five traits of a successful household. Number five, children come under the authority of their parents. Children come under the authority of their parents. Luke chapter two, verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I want to back up for just a moment. Jesus... God in flesh, our Messiah, was obedient to them. I believe wholeheartedly that at this point, it's, it's plausible that Jesus knew more than Joseph and Mary at 12 years old. Jesus is at the temple. His parents find him there, God's only son, in this moment was obedient to his parents. I believe that Jesus had every right to step back and shame Jerry and Mos or excuse me, Joseph and Mary. Don't judge me. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> I just already know that my loving church is never going to let me live that down. <laughs> Praise God. Joseph and Mary bring it back in bring it back in. <laughs> Jesus had every right to a degree to shame his parents he had every right to try and say listen like I'm the son of God you remember the angel appearing to you 
this is my father's house. This is where, and yet it says that he went with them, that he was obedient to them. Why did he do that? Because God set in place a natural order for the family unit where children submit to their parents. And Jesus did not go outside of that natural order set in place by his father, God. Parents, your responsibility is to lead. You're the authority figure in the household. Children, your responsibility is to submit. This is the order of the God-given family unit. Jesus was still subject to his parents even though he knew more. Why? Because someday Jesus would stand in a garden before being crucified. He would split blood in agony. As he anticipated the experience of going to the cross, he would ask his Father in heaven, Lord, if you can remove this cup. But he ends the prayer in submission by saying, not my will, but yours. There's that submission again. My point is this, parents. By children learning to submit to your authority, they are learning that someday they're going to have to submit to God's authority. They're getting in the practice of submitting to a higher authority because someday they're going to need to submit to an even higher authority. And by us setting the standard, it's, it's building that, that anticipation, that expectation of what is normal. The battle is just so obviously in front of us, isn't it, church? Stay with me. I know I've gone a little bit over time today, and I somewhat apologize for that. The battle is just so obviously in front of us. There's hardly a cartoon that I can turn on for my children where parents aren't looked at as morons. Where parents aren't treated as they don't understand me. They need help. And I'm even astonished of of the curriculum that I'm handed from, from a parent a few weeks ago who's in the Cutstown area. And they handed me an elementary piece of curriculum that there's just no other way to paint this picture. This curriculum absolutely made the parents look like morons. And that parents didn't understand the sexual identity of this student. The battle is just so obviously right in front of us, church. Are you ready to fight? And I mean spiritually. There's a time in a place for politics. I'm talking, are you ready to spiritually fight for your children? Would you stand with me? Teach your kids that your leadership, your authority is loving and trustworthy, and that it's for their benefit. And someday they will understand that submitting to God is loving and trustworthy, and for our benefit. When I say children submitting to your authority, please understand that 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 is not me saying that they submit to an abusive authority. I am assuming this morning that we all understand that it is submission to a God-fearing, God-loving, God-honoring authority figure that always seeks what is best for them. So again, I say, teach your kids that your leadership is loving, trustworthy, and for their benefit. And someday they will see that God's leadership in their life is trustworthy, loving, and for our benefit. And let me ask this. If you're here this morning 
and you're still saying, you know, pastor, I'm not sure I understand, you know, kids submit to, to their parents' authority, and I'm working on that, and that's going well. Where does this put me? We are children of God, and we are called to submit to his authority. You see how that works? We submit to God. Our kids submit to us, understanding that down at the bottom of the ladder, the kids are seeing the reflection of the top of the ladder. And as you and I submit to God, I'm telling you, it teaches us what a healthy authority looks like. So do you submit to God's authority as one of his children? Do you submit to his word? Do you submit to his will? And do you submit to his ways? What I'm going to ask is I'm going to ask the worship team to close out this morning's service with this worship song, just bragging on Jesus. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to reflect on one of these five areas. Maybe it's all five that you say, I need to work on all five. Praise God, you're going to need an anointing. So I think that it'd be appropriate right now to ask God for the anointing and the empowerment to be successful in these all five, in all five of these things, right? But maybe there's just one that stuck out to you. Maybe you're like, I feel good in these others. Can I just challenge you that during these next couple moments of worship to reflect and ask God, what is it that you want me to work on? And as he tells you, as you feel that conviction, I gotta work on this area. Can I challenge you? It doesn't take a whole lot of skill to notice when something is wrong, but it takes a lot of skill to fix something, amen? Let us posture our hearts to say, God, I'm gonna be obedient all week long in working on this area, amen? in the weeks to come, in the months to come, in the years to come. Amen? This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.